Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the aftermath of a terrible car accident, brilliant neurosurgeon Stephen Strange must find a way and a cure to heal his hands. His quest brings him to Kamataj in Nepal, where he studies under the Ancient One, who teaches him the ways of magic and of alternate realities. With new skills of interdimensional travel and spells, Strange soon discovers that he must protect the world from a deadly enemy who is out to destroy it. people and welcome to this 14th episode of happiness and darkness the superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from marvel dc dark horse image and more if it came from a comic and had a theatrical release you know we'll discuss it i'm one of your co-hosts dj nick and today we'll be discussing doctor strange and with me today to take on the sorcerer supreme is returning guest co-host and friend kelly pippin hey kelly how you doing good brother how are you I'm doing very, very well, thanks, Kelly, and of course, you know, thanks so much for joining me on yet another episode. Well, I'm happy to be here. It's always fun to come and talk about superheroes and comic books. <laughs> for sure, definitely. Well, so you, in this case, chose Doctor Strange. So uh, it was, of course, directed by Scott Derrickson, who our listeners might know from such films as The Exorcism of Emily Rose and the first movie in the Sinister franchise. The movie came out in 2016. It was written by Scott Derrickson, John Spates, who also wrote The Darkest Hour, Prometheus and The Mummy, and C. C. Robert Cargill, who co-wrote two of the Sinister movies and wrote also As They Continue to Fall. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Stephen Strange and also the voice of Dormammu, Kowete Ejiofor as Carl Modo, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer, Benedict Wong as Guess Who, Wong, Tilda Swinton as The Ancient One, and Mads Mikkelsen as Caecilius. 
The original score was by Michael Giacchino, whom we had already met on this podcast in our Spider-Man Homecoming episode with you, Kelly. And an estimate it cost $165 million to make and made over $677 million at the box office. So definitely quite a success at the box office, too. So why did you pick this movie in particular? Well, because this this is this was Marvel's forward like their foray into I, I don't, you know the early Doctor Strange books that came out in the 60s you know that this was their foray into that and where they were the the weird and the wonderful and the strange stuff and that's you know how he got his name Doctor Strange but um you know and then the movie came up and they actually portrayed Doctor Strange like Doctor Strange in the movie it wasn't as far off from the comic adaptation of some of the other movies I've seen I, I certainly will agree with you. And actually, before we look at the characters themselves, Kelly, I thought we could actually take a moment to look at the score itself, because seeing that we are dealing, of course, with magic, I figured, you know, we'd have to, of course, we'd need a suitable soundtrack. Funnily enough, the score was actually recorded at Abbey Road Studios. And during a recording session, funny story, Paul McCartney himself actually heard one of Michael Giacchino's cues being recorded, and he likened it to the Beatles song, I Am The Walrus. I don't know if you did you notice any sort of hints or did it? Uh, you know, I don't know if you're a Beatles fan yourself or you're familiar too much with the song I Am the Walrus, but did you notice anything, a, any sort of hints to maybe the Beatles? Well, I'll be honest. I, I, am a, I am a Beatles fan. I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. I like the Beatles, but I've never been like the, my mother would have been better suited for that question, but because she was a huge Beatles fan. Uh, but, um, I, you know, you notice different things and, di and there's only so many things you can do with music in any given point in time. And some things sound familiar. I am familiar with the song you're talking about. And mm -hmm. now that you've mentioned it, if I really sit down and think about it, I get where that's coming from now. So I, exactly. No, it's true, because I guess, you know, because we, of course, know the Beatles and their magical mystery tour and all that that ensued. So I have a feeling Paul McCartney enjoyed this, this uh, soundtrack himself. And the, the director, Derrickson, is also a Bob Dylan fan. He actually looked for a place in the film to include one of Dylan's songs, but he couldn't find one. However, we do get a moment where we have the interstellar overdrive by Pink Floyd. As Derrickson okay. hoped to use either this or... Are you experienced from Jimi Hendrix for the film's credits? But unfortunately, the royalties to use in the credits were too expensive. And so Giacchino created an original track called The Master of the Mystic End Credits. So that's a little bit of the background on the music. So let's first look at the, at the uh, actors here. Let's look at the titular character himself to start off with. Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange. Uh, we, our listeners might know him as being Sherlock in the TV series by that same name. The voice of Smaug in the um, Hobbit movies. And also for you fans of Neil Gaiman, he was also the voice of the Angel Islington in the BBC radio drama of Neverwhere. So, Kelly, what did you think of how Benedict played the future Sorcerer Supreme? I think it was a fantastic portrayal. Um, I, the, the whole thing was, is there was a lot of hubbub when this movie was, when, when it was said this movie was going to be made, people were arguing back and forth about who should be Dr. Strange. And people were saying, well, um, a lot of people were rooting for, believe it or not, Jason Momoa to play Dr. Strange. There was a whole big online petition and things like that. They felt like his look fit Dr. Strange. And then when Benedict Cumberbatch got the part and the first first pictures were released, we're like, okay, that works. And people kind of settled down. I thought it was a great choice. One, because he can be serious and he can be funny at the same time. And Dr. Strange has that kind of weird 
um, self-importance that, that he just kind of puts off on his own. Um, and so, you know, when they, they picked him for this role, I was, ex- I was, I was apprehensive and excited at the same time. Cause I've seen him in other stuff. And I really thought that he's either really going to peg the character or we're really going to go a different direction with it. So, but I thought he did a great job and I thought he pegged it and put Dr. Strange where Dr. Strange belonged in that weird and magical world. So I, I certainly will agree with you as with this particular portrayal of New York's famed neurosurgeon, you can certainly see that Derrickson and his co-writers, I think, took a leaf from the Tony Stark MCU playbook, as even though he's not a playboy like Tony, he certainly is a genius in his own right. And he has, like you were saying, that arrogance and self-importance we got in the first Iron Man movie. And I think uh, you know he's incredibly sure of himself. And to be honest, I could not wait to see him and Robert Downey Jr. in the same room together. As I very exactly. much agree. You know, because they just, it just would, you know, like, oh, wow, I can't wait for them to just, you know, start butting heads or whatever. But I very much appreciate the spiritual the, the journey that the character goes through. And you have to love how he enjoys taking music trivia quizzes while he's performing very complicated and hefty surgery. Though, I don't know about you, uh, Kelly, but I've been told that surgeons and nurses actually talk about the most trivial things while they're operating. Um, <laughs> And I actually recall one particular case when it came to me where I went under the blade and the surgeon actually said to his colleagues, hey, guys, no wisecracking. The patient is still conscious. <laughs> so Lord knows what they were talk- they talked about once I went under. When it came to you, did you actually have any doctor stories that made you think of Stephen Strange? You know, not, you know, not really. I've been fortunate as, as a child and, a, and an adult not to spend very much time at all in the hospital. Uh, so, um, yeah, the most time I've ever spent is when my kids were born and when I had the end of my finger sewn back on with a me and a saw got in a disagreement, but they didn't put me under for that. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got no strange doctor stories for you, but uh, I, I do. When you meet certain doctors, I've met, you know, like my kids, doctors and things like that. Some of them do have that arrogance about them that they're smarter than you. And I think that that's really how Dr. Strange is supposed to come off. And the other the other point to that is that, you know, you talked about him and Tony Stark in the same room. Tony Stark finds himself at a loss when he's around Dr. Strange because Dr. Strange is dealing in things that Tony doesn't believe in. So, you know, it's it's always a fun dynamic to see those two in the comics and see them on screen together because, you know, there's always that second guessing of Tony because it's not science. So it's it's very fun to watch. Oh, yes, it's very true, because I guess you kind of have that debate of science versus magic, almost, you know, it's, it, which, is a, which is a curious one. And, and the fact, of course, that, you know, we'll see in future movies as well, that Tony continues to call him a wizard. And I don't think Doctor Strange appreciates that too much. But that, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can also see that at first he's very emotionally detached, you know, unlike a lot of surgeons I have met. And though you do get that also in the medical world, but yep, when it comes to Stephen as a doctor, zero points for his bedside manner. And then exactly. we finally and then we finally see, you know, the beard and cape. And I don't know about you, but I was geeking out big time as Benedict looked exactly like the Doctor Strange we have loved in the comics. 
Also, his chemistry with the other characters is absolutely superb. And I so look forward to seeing more of him in future MCU movies. And also to the writer's credit and Benedict's, even in the comics, Doctor Strange is, you know, he's a slightly different from this because, you know, you, you've, you've read a lot of uh, comics where Doctor Strange is present. And as you, you, you also know, he's rather aloof and more of a mysterious character. Um, I mean, not the kind of guy you would see as the life and soul of the party. But when he is needed, he's very generous with his help. And heck, he is actually one of the Scarlet Witch's mentors and helps deliver her children. Spoilers, but uh, we're, just, <laughs> we're, just put, we're just putting that out there. And just like Tony Stark's, Strange's colleagues have to deal with his difficult and enormous ego. Case in point, Rachel McAdams as Dr. Christine Palmer. Her claim to fame is her role of Regina George in Mean Girls, Ali Hamilton in The Notebook, beside Ryan Gosling and Amy Stone in The Family Stone. A bit of comics context, Christine is one of the women to take on the mantle of Night Nurse, which was a short-lived Marvel comic targeted women from the 70s. For our listeners who don't know this, it focused on three female roommates who worked the night shift at the Metropolitan General Hospital in New York, and Christine Palmer is one of the trio. She has nothing to do with Doctor Strange in the comics, but rather has a brief encounter with the X-Men, case in point Storm and Nightcrawler. When it came to you, uh, Kelly, what were your thoughts on Rachel McAdams and her role in this movie? Were you happy that they put in a night nurse as, shall we say, the romantic interest? Yeah, well, I mean, she was his conscience. I mean, <laughs> when you when you watch the movie, I mean, they, they put her in there for a very specific reason, because for him to be aloof and to be the way that he was in the beginning of the movie, he had to have a conscience. And she grounded him. She grounded Doctor Strange's character in the beginning of the movie, and then even further into the movie, her words and things that she did during that time echo through the movie because he's coming to terms with his mortality and realizing that he is not this, you know, he's not out of the realm of, of losing his talents and abilities. And, you know, that's where, you know, the movie takes the turn after the, you know, after the accident. And so, you know, all of that, she just, I feel like she's his conscience and she's his life support um, during this movie until he comes into his own at the end. Mm. I mean, and, you know, and of course, as I said, you, because I know that one of your f phrases on this uh, podcast has been, I don't like it when people mess with my, with my universe, as it were. So you weren't, ups you weren't upset or in any way, should we say, irritated that they, that they put in a character that was not part, shall we say, of the Doctor Strange lore. Well, no, not exactly, because to believe it or not, the night nurses have played an integral role throughout the Marvel comics. And if you've watched any of the Marvel TV series and some of those, some of the other things, you'll find them throughout, you know, the Marvel universe. And they've made appearances here and there and everywhere. Um, and they're kind of the emergency, you know, medics for the, the superheroes, so to speak. Um, and so it... it you know, it didn't come off as something that they just kind of stuck in there and they hoped it worked. It just it allowed us to have because when you read the Doctor Strange comics, there's a big difference between, you know, the early comics and what comes later. But the the whole point is, is you can throw characters from the universe into these movies because, you know, sometimes you can mess with things and it's OK. Other times when you mess with an entire canon, that changes it. They didn't change the canon. They just put another character in. So that wasn't too terribly irritating to me. So, you know, it was it was one of those things that I enjoyed. And it also gave us a chance to see the more human side of Doctor Strange versus his more arrogant and aloof side. So 
Well, I mean, if you know, if it's if it's Kelly approved, then we know that they did a good <laughs> job because I know how strongly you feel about this stuff. And I agree with you. I feel that her and Benedict have great chemistry and they have to wonder how long their relationship actually lasted. As granted, there are women who love a bad boy, but you can only imagine what things have been must have been like between the two behind closed doors. When you exactly. you know, you're, date, you're dating a guy who is so full of himself and granted may have a lavish lifestyle, but I have a feeling that Christine got tired of him pretty quickly as she is certainly a strong woman and I think Marvel has always done a great job with its female characters as you can tell she won't put up with any of Steven's rubbish and you have to hand it to her for how supportive also she is of him when he loses control of his hands following his car accident though rightfully after a while you can tell she's done and she leaves him alone so I think it was it was a, it was it was a well done character and well written now let's head on over to Kamataj first off with one of my favorite characters to ever be introduced to the MCU, Benedict Wong as well. Wong. He played, he was Kublai, he was Kublai, Kublai Khan in Marco Polo and Bruce in the Martian movie. And isn't it crazy, Kelly, that they actually found an actor who portrays a character with his same name, not to mention that he shares his first name with Benedict Cumberbatch. It, it, yeah, it was kind of a like a fluke thing, and when you see it, you're kind of you have to do a double take because you feel like he's just kind of playing himself in the movie, because uh, everything that he does in the movie just seems to come natural to him. So you know, it's kind of like he's not acting; it's just like his day to day. So it really made it it really made it kind of exciting, and and yeah, I think it was it was uh, it was I don't think it was a fluke. I think they you know think they intentionally picked him, but I also think. You know, the last name matching was kind of neat. And the fact that, you know, somebody could say his last name and he doesn't have to remember I'm playing a character. That's my name. So <laughs> it's like, just, you know, we'll give you a paycheck. Just show up and play yourself kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I guess it was just meant to be. And, you know, what were you once again, you know, talking about the difference between the comic book character and this one. What were your thoughts on Wong and how Benedict Wong played him? Well, I thought he I thought he paid a, a decent homage to the comic book character Wong. I mean, Wong has always been in the comics when you meet Wong, he's he's kind of the strict kind of person. He doesn't, you know, there's no kind of him and Doctor Strange in the comics become the the best of friends. Um and so, you know, I think they've they that he put this in a perspective that it would work on the screen. I think there are some nuances that they maybe missed a little bit. Um, some of his attitude um, towards Doctor Strange and, you know, there's different things that happened in the comics and there's so many branches of, of Doctor Strange in the comic books and so many different team ups and so many different ways that things have went in the comics. You can't put it all on the screen. So I think they chose that one path to go down. And I think it was the right one for this. I think it literally you start to see the relationship form in Doctor Strange Um and if you go into future movies, you see that relationship expand. And it, I just think it's a I think it's the way that he played it was a true to form, um, you know, Wong from the comics. You know what I mean? Mm, for sure. And to be honest, I think because, you know, if, as you were saying, the, the character of Wong does evolve throughout the comics, because I think this was definitely an upgrade to the early Wong that we got. who was almost a subservient sidekick. 
And I think this is an example as of what smart creative writing can do. As I instantly gravitated to Wong, and he's such a lovable character, who is also at the same time a fearsome fighter and skilled sorcerer. And he was a character I was very happy to see in future films and can only wonder what they will do with him in the upcoming sequel, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But we'll get to that. And uh, I also love that first we didn't get whether his, he had zero sense of humor. We simply not impressed with Stephen's wit. But as the movie progresses, we see that behind that stern exterior, there is a guy you certainly would want at your wedding. Yeah, but that's, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I just I had think, him for a, yeah. I think his tolerance at the beginning for Stephen Strange, because you got to remember in the beginning of the movie, when he first meets Wong and, and he first starts training, you know, his tolerance for, for, for Dr. Strange is not very high. Yeah. And a lot of people look at him because of a lot of the scenes where Strange is stealing books out of the library and Wong's kind of oblivious to it, so to speak. I don't think Wong was necessarily oblivious to it so much as he was like, okay, I'm not going to stop him. Might as well just let this go. So. Exactly. And plus he got into, into him into pop music, it seems. I think Wong is now a fan of Beyonce. <laughs> Which I thought, I thought that was that that was a great exchange there as well when he was like try me Beyonce and using all those names that was great and uh, moving yeah. on into of course the the sanctum we of course meet Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One you may know her dear listeners as Karen Crowder in the movie Michael Clayton she was also Ella Gold in Young Adam and of course the White Witch from the latest Chronicle of Narnia movies the Lion the Witch from the Wardrobe in particular. So, Kelly, when it came to you, were you familiar with Tilda Swinton as an actress? And what did you think of her, of how she played the ancient one? I was, I'm, well, one, I'm absolutely familiar with her. Um, you know, I'm a huge sci-fi fantasy fan. And so, you know, I've seen all the, you know, the, the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, the movies and, and so on, you know, the Narnia movies. Um, I guess, I, it, that her part was probably the biggest departure from the comics because, as you know, the ancient in the comics is a very old man. Mm -hmm. um, but putting it as a female and allowing her to play it, I think she did a very good job of playing that. Um, I know more than you. Um, relax, we'll get there. Kind of person. She she knew, and in the comics, um, in the comics, the ancient one had watched Stephen Strange long before he was Dr. Strange or even at before his accident, because he knew through different channels of mysticism that Dr. Strange was going to become the Sorcerer Supreme at some point. So in this movie, you already get the feeling that she knows who he is as soon as he comes through the door. She also knows that he needs that push. And I think they took that from the comics and translated it well into the movie. And I think she did a really good job of, taking that part and just playing it as because i mean it's amazing how deadpan she can be and how serious she can be even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on and just i think she did the role justice i really do i was i was apprehensive at first with that because you know all from the comic books you've got this old man he's 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 you know he's a very serious character in the comics um, and then we bring in her and I'm thinking, well, you know, she's a pretty versatile actress, so let's see what it is. And yeah, I think she did a wonderful job portraying the ancient one. And I don't think her time is over in the Marvel universe. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know what? I have a feeling you are correct in that because after all, you know, once again, talking about the, the title of the, uh, 
follow-up to this movie, you know, The Multiverse of Madness, one can only imagine what could happen with that. And uh, when it comes to the choice of Tilda Swinton, I like the choice as well as with the shaved head and with her manner more of a Celtic twist somewhat, and also this kind of androgynous appearance. I think it left the mystique and mystery of the character intact. And, uh, you know, like you said, one of the great things about the, the, the MCU is that it's not cut and dry when it comes to the good guys and the bad guys. And we, we see this in both the ancient one and in Caecilius, which we'll be tackling shortly. As with the ancient one, you know, in the, in the comics, of course, these are more should we say one-dimensional character almost because you know very wise always do the right thing and, and this kind of thing right we find out of course that in this film during the course of the film she herself has had dealings with the dark dimension in order to extend her life so somebody we might think you know as a viewer is so pious and pure turns out to have feet of clay and i actually love that as it makes her more human Though it also makes her look somewhat hypocritical, as Caecilius points out, as she had banished him for that. Now, what were your what were your thoughts when this was revealed that the ancient one had actually had dealings within the dark dimension in order to extend her life? Well, I think, I, well, so I think it gave her uh, the sense of fallibility because mm -hmm. Doctor Strange. In, in all of the things that he did, he did find out that he was fallible. And to have the Ancient One fallible like he was, he understood that she prolonged her life in order to protect the things that were more important. Like, sometimes we have to do bad things to make good things happen. You know, in, in life, you have to do things that you really don't want to do, but you have to in order to get the result that you need so that things are better. You know, like we don't like going to war, but we do it, um, you know, cool. so yeah, I think I think she used what was at her disposal in the movie in order to set the stage so that Doctor Strange could come in and be the sorcerer that he needed to be in order to protect the world from all of these other beings that nobody else has the potential to fight. I, well, certainly, I think I guess sometimes the, the the end justifies the means, and you know, also when it comes when it comes to the relationship with with Stephen, as you you know um, hinted there a little bit. For me, one of the most beautiful moments in the movie is the exchange that she has with him before her soul departs. And for the first time, we actually see that Stephen has feelings and a heart. And, uh, you know, when, when with moments like this one, for example, and you know, seeing the initial way she treats Stephen, what were your thoughts on her relationship with him as the movie went on, you know, from the beginning and as the movie went on? Well, I think you get the sense that she knows what he can become. It's just a matter of him realizing it. And I think she treats him accordingly every step of the way. Because I feel like, you know, you have people, you know, in your life and you see potential in them and they don't realize they have it. And you're always pushing on them to reach that potential. And I think sometimes the tough love situation that she shows in the beginning and then moving on into the more cordial relationship where she's teaching him and she gives him the opportunity to, you know, realize that I can do this and I can make these things happen. I think all of that, you know, coming down to the last scene where her soul departs and she's leaving, I think, you know, they form that relationship and he understands more than anybody at that point why she took the steps that she did with him. And I think he appreciates the fact that she didn't give up on him and that she you know, she took the time to push him in the direction he needed to go in order to find himself again. 
very well put. And I personally have always been a huge fan of martial arts and actually practiced them, you know, way back when. And I really appreciated that sensei-student relationship they end up having. The first we can see that Strange is not used to having a boss or to answer to anybody. Right. <laughs> But like any good teacher, she does eventually break him with a firm yet kind hand. So all in all, I enjoyed her, though she did lose a, maybe a little bit of brownie points when we found out about the Dark Dimension story. But I suppose there is a redeeming quality in that she didn't do it solely for selfish reasons, but because she wanted to protect uh, the world, as it were. And it makes us more. And the thing is, though, if you look at it another way, it could almost make us more sympathetic towards Caecilius and what he feels. But before we get in, before we get to Caecilius, Let's get to the man that I affectionately call teacher's pet, which is, of course, Kawate Ejiofor as um, Mordor. Uh, he was another actor from The Martian. He played Vincent Kapoor in that. And he recently was also the voice of Scar in the remake of Disney's The Lion King. Now, what, what we know that Carl Modo is one of Doctor Strange's recurring villains. And at first I thought to myself, Wow, they are throwing a lot of villains at us in, in this between Mordor, Caecilius, and Dormammu. And I was wondering how they were going to juggle it, but I thought for the most part they did well. Though in this case, Mordor is slightly different from the comics compared to his debut. What were your thoughts on how um, Kawate uh, played Mordor and uh, you know, when the, you know, his difference from the comics? Well, I, you know, I, in the comics, he's straight up a villain. Um, you know, and it was never there was never any question about that. Um, in in this movie, I think he's introduced more as a student versus the villain, mm -hmm. and I think that that plays into you know because when he finds out that she's been using the dark arts, he was blind to that for a long time. Yeah. So I think when this when I think what changes that whole situation is when he realizes all that stuff, and all that stuff comes down to. You know, okay, well, here we are, and I've been taught and taught and taught not to do this, not to do this, not to do this, and now I find out that it's being done behind my back, and you know, there's just all these things that play into it, and I think the way that they worked it in actually worked out a little better, because now it gives us a little bit of history and a little bit of backstory instead of, hey, this is just a bad guy. So Exactly, yes, because he could have been, you know, once again, a kind of one-dimensional villain, and it, it might have not worked as well because already we had Caecilius to deal with and we also had Dormammu to deal with. So it could have been a bit of a, a bit too much, could have almost been overkill. So it was nice they gave him this journey as, you know, I, I felt he was very much like the teacher's pet compared to the comics, of course. As we know, he actually attempts to kill the Ancient One. And right. for this reason, he's actually cast out. In this case, they found a different route for him to leave Kamataj. And I see him almost as representing that purest, more orthodox side of the order. And he clearly does not agree with Strange's methods. And of course, all his certainties, this almost blind faith he has in the Ancient One, are just dashed. And you kind of have to feel bad for him in that sense when he finds out that she is not as pure as he thought, at least in his eyes. And we see that later that sets him out on his villainous path to destroy all sorcerers, or anyway, saying the world has too many sorcerers. And actually, in the well, comics, he, yeah. I think him and Doctor Strange are two sides of the same coin. Mm. And I think that's what they were trying to get at in the movie. One is the devout and faithful, one is always the questioning one. And the, the one that was the questioning one was Doctor Strange. And he understood, and like I said before, he understood why the ancient one did what she did. And the other one was just blind faith. So when he finds out what happened, I think 
that's there. I think him and Dr. Strange are again, two sides of the same coin. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I just, I feel like they were the two and out of those two, one became, you know, the protege and the, and the, and, and the lifeblood of, of the, the enclave. And then the other one thought he was, and then he feels like that the ancient one fell short of his expectations and therefore he goes in a different direction. So I think it's the tale of two brothers there. I mean, that's how I kind of feel about that. I think it, it that's a beautiful concept, and I think you you definitely um, you definitely make a very good point about that for sure. I, I I agree with you. It's interesting, as you said, you do have this kind of you know difference of two students almost, you know, one being more inquisitive and the other saying, you know, I'll just take everything literally according to what the uh, you know my sensei is saying or my teacher is saying, and not question it. And so it could almost be a lesson of you know you might want to you know sometimes dig into things a little bit more and not just take everything you're told at face value. So it's um, I think that it's definitely an interesting question that is raised there for sure. And uh, of course, we know that Mordo actually in the comics does ally himself with Dormammu against Doctor Strange and other Marvel heroes. And I like the fact that first they almost fooled us, you know, making us think that in the MCU was a good guy, but then they revealed his true colors. So like Mordor, we have started treading the path of villainy. So let's look at one of our two main villains, an actor I absolutely love, Mads Mikkelsen as Caecilius. Uh, our listeners might know, might know him from his great work as Hannibal Lecter in the incredible TV series Hannibal. He was also Le Chiffre in the Bond film Casino Royale, and Galen Erso also in, uh, in Star Wars, I believe, among others. Right. He, also, he also voiced Randall Boggs in Monsters, Inc., and, in, and Sniff in the Moomins. As I'd mentioned with Michael Wincott as top dollar in the Crow uh, review we did, Mads is another one of these actors that plays villains so well, you know, be it a cardinal, a mob boss, a serial killer, and now <laughs> a sorcerer. So what were your thoughts on Mads Mikkelsen and how he played Caecilius? Um, I personally, I liked him as Caecilius. Um, I think that... Uh, they now here's the only hiccup I think I have with the movie. I think they could have wrote, um, they could have wrote him in a little better than they did. Um, I think you know because we start the movie, you know, we start the movie off, you know, with him the battle between him and the ancient one, kind of, and that's where you 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 know you really first kind of encounter this guy, and so I feel like he was a little underdeveloped in the movie and a, not as. And I know you've only got so much time in a movie to tell a story. Um, I feel like they underplayed his power a little bit versus Doctor Strange because, I mean, I don't know. In the comics, he's a very powerful villain, and he has a tendency to to cause a lot of a uh, lot of problems. And in the in the movie, um, Doctor Strange becomes so powerful so quickly that I think that um, it kind of overshadows how big of a threat he truly was. Um, I, I get it. Um, and I understand we've only got so much time to tell a story in a movie, but I, I, I feel like maybe they, they didn't do as much service to his character in the writing as they should have. As far mm-hmm. as him playing the part, I thought he did an excellent job. And I thought it was, I thought it was just an amazing setup into, you know, the world that we get into, you know, once Dr. Strange figures out, Hey, oh my gosh, there's more to this than I thought. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that light bulb turns on and, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's a totally different kind of setup so but yeah i mean i enjoyed his character i truly did i just think they could have done a little more to develop him a little bit um it's i mean they were just kind of blunt with everything that he did 
Um, they could have worked it out a little more, I think. But I just I enjoyed his character. Um, he's a good villain, and um, he's always played good villains. So um, bringing him in was kind of a logical choice, and it really worked. So well, certainly, I you know I will also agree with you with the fact that maybe he, him being a little bit underwritten, as like you said, the fact that this is a guy who has studied magic for so many years compared to, uh, to to strange at this point and you'd think that even though strange is a quick study caecilius would probably have a little bit more over him in this case because of the experience uh and uh, you know i did also think he did an excellent job and also listeners for those who don't know in the comics mordor is actually actually studies under caecilius and is one of his henchmen to a certain extent as he as mordor instructs he instructs him to kidnap the ancient one and other missions of this nature and he actually has some pretty intense encounters with strange on the printed page like you were hinting at kelly and you can't yeah. but have and you know to a certain extent though in this this uh, version of Caecilius, you can't but have some sympathy for him. As in the movie, I see him more as a guy who just made a series of bad choices and has possibly been manipulated by Dormammu, as he is also burnt by, uh, by the you know the perceived ancient one's hypocrisy. And can, and I wonder, can we blame him for wanting to learn more? I mean, so yes, he is evil, but I see it more as the man who fell into some you know, bad company and thus his vision of right and wrong is distorted. And I loved every, and I personally actually loved every moment on, he was on screen, but I also appreciated this thing of, at least uh, this the way I read it, I don't know about you, but I felt that yes, it was almost like he had been taken down the wrong path and he was just, his vision was just distorted of, the, of what right and wrong were at a certain point. Well, I think he feels like, because you get the feeling that him and the ancient one go way back. And I think you get the, the distinct impression that his belief in her hypocrisy, you know, because in the comics, Dr. Strange vows not to use dark magic and winds up using the expression that I gave you earlier, the ends justify the means. Um, he dabbles in those areas quite frequently in the comics because he gets into situations where not every time everything the ancient one taught him will will save the day and i feel like you know there are people that have the mental capacity to use it and still stay on the light side of things um versus using it and letting it consume them and bring them into the dark and i think he's a prime example of you know it, as a villain i think he's the prime example of his emotions overrunning his thoughts and it just draws him into this um, dark place and i think his hatred for the ancient one um just really tops that off there's he he cannot put that down and i think that's what's drug him down into this situation and and it, and again you know I, that relationship with the ancient one goes way back so there's a lot of history there that we don't get you know they hint at but we don't get and you feel like you know you can kind of put two and two together there um and you can move forward, but I think that the, I think his emotions. I, I kind of liken it to Star Wars. You know, if your emotions take over, you go to the dark side. Uh, you know. Yeah. But I like. I feel like uh, that's kind of what happened to this character, and I think that's where they wanted to take him, and he just fell into this and couldn't pull himself back out. 
Mm, yeah, I, as you said, you know, to, to echo that, he was probably just too far gone at one point. And, you know, I, as you were saying, might also be just a strength of character of a person of how corruptible they can be by this power and how and how many of them actually would step back. You know, the whole thing of I can quit whenever I want kind of situation. It's almost right. like it becomes it was like almost like it becomes almost a drug, as it were. And finally, we come to the big bad himself, Dormammu whom, as we mentioned earlier, is actually voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. Now, once again, you know, going back to the comics, uh, what were your thoughts on how Dormammu was portrayed on screen? And was this what you expected when they, they revealed that Dormammu would be the big bad? Well, so Dormammu in the comics has taken on several different iterations over the years. Um, I like the way that they portrayed him. Um, he is isolated into his particular area. The only way that he has power is through the people that he can influence most of the time in the comics. Um, although he's came through the rift several times over and over again. I mean, you've seen Dr. Strange battle this Dormammu many times in the comics. Um, it always seems to come down though, to a battle of wits between those two. And I think mm -hmm. in this movie, I think that's exactly the way they wanted to play it out. And I, it, to me, it was, it was genuinely, I don't feel like, you know, we had the Fantastic Four moment, you know, where you're looking for Galactus and you get a cloud, you actually get Dormammu. And um, he is a celestial being. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you, it, they, they made it big enough and they made him the big bad and you actually get to see him. It's not something that you, you know, it's just off to the side and you get that eerie feeling that there's something there, but there's really not. And then when they brought him to life in this movie, I feel like they did it justice versus what they could have done with it. And it, it, I was happy with the way that they, they portrayed him. Um, the fact that Benedict Cumberbatch plays both the hero and the villain in the movie kind of, uh, you know, cracked me up a little bit. Cause I was like, okay, I get it. But you know, it's kind of a play on, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm bad. But, uh, I liked it. I thought they did a really good job of bringing him to life. Um, and I like the dimension when Doctor Strange is actually in Dormammu's domain. Um, I like the way that they put that together. It gives pays some homage to the um, kind of trippiness that Doctor Strange was all about during the 60s and 70s and that kind of thing. So you kind of get that vibe of, uh, yeah, um, somebody might have popped a few pills and, and drew this scene out. So <laughs> it was I, yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, uh, when it comes to trippiness, I will definitely say they 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 certainly took from the Steve Ditko comics, indeed. Though uh, yes. here I might I might disagree with you slightly because I feel the movie lost a few points in this, as I was not. 100% sold with the CGI for Dormammu as you know we, right. we are talking we are talking about one of the big threats in the MCU and I would have liked him to be kind of more menacing rather than just the result of an acid cheese nightmare you know though the whole though on the whole I, the, the the bargain scene did get a few chuckles out of me and I thought that it did show off Strange's ingenuity but I feel it was right. somewhat wasted as the the movie was you know almost like um, the situation with Fantastic Four and Galactus, but obviously not as bad as that. But, you know, we were building up to seeing this guy, and I was hoping to see something a little bit more kind of, as it were, scary. But I guess at the same point, we are dealing with Disney, so they can only go so far. Um, so, but, but other than that, I thought, I thought they did a good job all in all. And so any final thoughts on the movie before we move forward? Well, I just, I feel like they did a really good job of taking um, Stanley and Steve Ditko's creation and bringing it to life i you know i i gotta say i do agree with the cgi thing although 
The one thing that I'll say to that is these movies are PG-13. They're not rated R movies. Mm. And we've got a lot of kids that are experiencing, you know, the new, the new, the new movement of Marvel. And, um, I, I enjoy the fact that I can take my kiddo to see this and I don't have to worry about it being too scary or it has to be, you know, utterly too violent and, and that kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, I agree with you at, at, for part of that end, but I do think that they brought him to life in that way that, you know, still, you know, kind of paid homage to the Steve Ditko kind of ideals. Um, but I feel like the movie on a whole from beginning to end, it's, it's the whole plot was well put together. I feel like that they did everything justice that they needed to do justice to. I think that I felt like they moved forward, um, with the universe and, and they brought this to a point that, you know, with this movie that it, it, it becomes an integral part of the MCU. And, and it really, I, you know, I just felt like, uh, you know, it paid really good, you know, it stuck pretty close to the comics and it, it paid a really good homage to the character. And I feel like moving forward that it'll just grow from there. Certainly. And I will actually spend, you know, just a few minutes on the visuals, which I think, you know, cinematographer Ben Davis did a great job in trying to recreate as we were talking about, you know, the trippy Steve Ditko artwork we got in the early issues of Doctor Strange. But like I said, you know, I would have liked a little bit more creepiness to, to it all, especially in Dormammu. And as a, but as a fan of the Saw franchise, I did enjoy the magic trap that Caecilius is temporarily imprisoned in. Because exactly. I, <laughs> ah, so you're a fan of the Saw franchise too? Yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, it definitely seemed like something that Jigsaw would conjure up. So that, right. was, that, that, was, that was fun. And, and my other, you know, t other you know, small gripe is that, okay, New York is a big city. So what are the odds that they always wind up at the same hospital where Christine happens to work? But or that it's so it's so close by, you know, but but I'm just nitpicking here. But I did think, you know, New York's a big city, has a lot of a lot of hospitals. It's odd that they're just around the corner. You know, I guess it's obviously uh, they had to do it for obvious reasons. But that was that's just me you know, nitpicking a little bit. But other than that, you know, I was happy with it. So, so, we're, so we're all allowed yep. to nit. I mean, you know, they're. There are times, you know, you feel like, you know, during the fight scene in the uh, in the New York Sanctum, you know, when they're trying to save it from being de demolished, um, you know, you kind of feel like some of that was um, there for show and some of it was actually important to the story. I did enjoy the scene where he's fighting the one guy and trying to throw him through one of the doors um, into a different dimension. And, uh, you know, it works out in his favor at, at that point. But, I, you know, it's one of those things that you you know, you take the good with the bad and you, you kind of just roll with it. And I think overall, you know, it's a, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. And I feel like, you know, that, I don't know, I, I personally just enjoyed it. And, you know, I always watch him more than once because the first time I'm just there to enjoy it. The second time I'm there to look at it a little deeper. And then the third time you're looking for all the Easter eggs and all the different things and the little nuances to different characters and things like that. And there are a few in there. Um, not so much as in Doctor Strange as there has been some of the others, but it's always just good to just kind of sit back and watch it a few times and 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 pick through and you finally find, you know, that that space that you go, I'm okay with this. Time to go to the next one. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. It definitely has very rewatchable value. Well, you know, on this note, um, let's get to ratings. Where does this, this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten? I would give it eight yellow gloves. 
Mm. Well, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm almost there with you. I'm going to give this a seven out of ten. Capes of Levitation. As all in all, it's a fun watch. You know, Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange through and through, especially when we see him get the Cape of Levitation. Wong is awesome, and Michael Giacchino's score is brilliant. As I have to admit, I'm a sucker for some good sitar. So, you know, if ever a sitar is playing, I'm always happy about that. <laughs> there <laughs> but, you go. But I will dock points for Dormammu and for possibly stretching themselves on the villain side, as I, I personally would, might have kept Dormammu for a later movie and focused on the double threat of Kaecilius and Mordor, but all in all, a good job. So, yes, we're going to give this a solid 7 out of 10. And what would you like, now that you know it has been announced that there will be a follow-up to this movie, as in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it's been announced. And rumour has it that it will be the MCU's first horror movie, in inverted commas. I'm certainly hoping for that. But we must remember that the House of Mouse calls the shots. So I'm not sure what happened with that. But when it comes to you, what are you hoping to see in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? So, you know, it depends on what their what their plans are in pulling in characters. Now, keep in mind, the House of Mouse also owns Lionsgate, which produces a lot of horror movies. But <laughs> people forget that Disney has multiple arms out there, and a lot of times they don't talk about some of those. Um, but that being said, um, I mean, I'd really like to see them expo explore a little more um, into... Uh, the darker side of strange because there's a lot of comics out there that that you see him questioning and him relinquish actually relinquishing the title sorcerer sorcerer supreme and um it's one of those things where i don't know if i want to see like um you know there's there's some pretty because i don't want him to kill off wong yet <laughs> so yeah. i don't wanna, i don't want to see uh there's several comics, uh, and I'll give you those at the end of the show. I'll give you the series. But there's several comics where Doctor Strange is fighting for Wong's life, and and he has to make some serious decisions. That would be a great storyline to go into. But I don't think we're far enough into the universe to hit that one yet. Mm. Um, although I'd love to see that on the big screen. Um, yeah, there's just there's a multitude of them that I could think of that I would love to see. I'm just trying to think. You know, it depends on how they use the villain. You know, at the end of the movie, you know, you're seeing these guys, um, you're seeing the other sorcerers being hunted down. And so are they going to continue on that path and bring Dormammu back um, and deal with that? Are they going to, you know, are we going to go a different direction, which we may because we've already experienced, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet saga. So it's kind of, I don't know. It's really, I feel like it's going to depend on um, which way they want to go. Because you've got, you know, Doctor Strange hunts vampires and all kinds of other myth mythical evil beings. And so there's all kinds of different ways, if they're going to go a horror movie route, that they could really work a lot of the storylines from Doctor Strange comics into this. It's just, to me, I feel like it's going to really depend on um, which direction marvel if they're really going to truly make a horror movie which direction they really want to go with it but the vampire um the vampire stories from doctor strange are pretty um they're pretty horrific actually <laughs> some of them so I, I i would think um you know they might pull from those i don't know i i you know because you got doctor strange versus Drac dracula mm -hmm. so i mean i don't know 
I guess I guess in this case only time will tell, you know. But personally, yeah. I, I do hope that we do get a resolution to the um end scene, you know, post credit scene with Mordor saying, you know, there are too many sorcerers. And I hope we might get a showdown between him and Doctor Strange. And it looks like it will it will then set off a lot of things for the next phase of the MCU. Also, I'd love to see Brother Voodoo as well, if they ever do introduce oh, him. Yeah. He's, a, he's a wonderful character as well. Yeah. Not to mention, yep. you know, they also have the Hellstrom TV series coming up. So we might get Hellstrom as well, who's a wonderful, wonderful character, brilliantly a complex character. So we might see Doctor Strange and his dealings with hellish beings and denizens of hell. So that would definitely be, be very interesting. I certainly want more trippiness and maybe focus and flesh out the big bad a little better, but I'm definitely hyped for this, this uh, sequel, seeing as apparently it's going to be a key, a key film in the next um, phase of the MCU. So definitely very, very curious about that. Now, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit when it comes to comics, did you have any Doctor Strange stories you would like to recommend? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Strange Tales, if you never read that, that's kind of where Doctor Strange comes in. Um, um, uh, books 110 through 141, that brings up the, it, that comes into the Eternity Saga. Um, and then The Oath is probably one of the best series of Doctor Strange that I've had a chance to read. Um, that one will lead you into, you know, the conflict between um, saving the world and saving Wong and, you know, a few other things. So if you get a chance to read that one, that one's a really good one to kind of see where Dr. Strange's relationship is with um, Wong and some of the other things. Um, there's also uh, the way of the weird um, is a really good one. Um, and uh, that one will take you into some different directions. Um, you know, it's, people are trying, there's this, you know, the way the weird kind of deals with, you know, the abomination of magic and, and, you know, there's forces throughout the universe winding its way, trying to just destroy magic in general. And it gives you a really good idea of how strange, you know, you know, deals with that situation. So if you get a chance to read that, that would be a really great one, um, for people to, uh, um, to really get into Doctor Strange, if you haven't yet, that would be a that those I think those three series would be really a way to to associate and uh, get to know Doctor Strange a little better because it gives you a wide variety. I think those gives you a wide variety of who he is and and where he comes from. Well, well some great suggestions for sure there, Kelly, and I'm going to couple those up with uh, for those who enjoyed this movie. I would certainly suggest Doctor Strange season one from 2012. It collects Doctor Strange season season one one through five, and also Defenders issue one, written by Greg Pak and art by Emma Rios. The story introduces the essential cast of Baron Modo, uh, Wong, the Ancient One, and Dormammu, connecting them all to a core narrative and setting up a strong basis for Strange's subsequent ventures. Also, the uh, short story to steal the sorcerer's soul from 1982's Marvel Fanfare issue 5. It's a succinct 17-page story tale by the novel team of Chris Claremont, Marshall Rogers, and P. Greg Russell. Strange's romance, we actually have Strange being romantic in this one because Dr. Strange's romance with the otherworldly Clear is in full bloom here, with Claremont channeling his iconic X-Men soap operatics with great effort. That pairing underscores the action of the story as Dormammu and Strange battle once again. Although it's short in length, 
page for page, this is one of Doctor Strange's most potent tales and definitely worth tracking down for students of Doctor Strange fandom as well as would-be masters. And finally, a contribution from writer Steve Englehart, who was already familiar with Doctor Strange from his work on Defenders, but when he took over Strange's solo adventures, he moved away from the superheroic style he wrote on the team book, delving deeper into myth and magic. That collects Marvel premiere from issue four to issue 14, collected alongside Englehart's Doctor Strange's one to five as a separate reality. It follows Strange and his supporting cast. They become trapped in the eye of Agamotto, of all things, the battle Lovecraftian horrors such as the cosmic monster Shuma Garath, and foiling a time travel plot by, once again, Baron Mordor. A, se a separate reality collects Engelhart's entire run alongside artist Frank Brunner and marks the moment when Doctor Strange moved from mystical superheroics to outright fantasy and even horror. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for your time. I greatly appreciated it and look forward to having you back soon to discuss more of your favorite superhero movies. Now, when it comes to you and the great work that you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Oh, gosh. Um, you can find me on Facebook in several different places. You can find me at the Veterans Forum. Um, you can find my professional page, Kelly Pippen. And then you can also find my band page, something like yesterday on Facebook. Um, you can find our music out on Reverb Nation. Um, and yeah, people are, you know, I always welcome new people into, into the fold. And uh, yeah, love to get people involved and, and do great things with us. Well, my people, definitely be sure to check out... Um Kelly and his great band, for sure, they're definitely worth your time. And if you want to be like Kelly and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Or if you even want to leave us a comment, you can also do that at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us at Happiness in Darkness. You can also follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash cigarettes, or on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts, where we are also under Whiskey and Cigarettes Show. And if you would like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on SoundCloud or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. We'd really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with, or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. Also, as always, a huge thank you to our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to his Nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does some great work. That's Nostalgia channel, all in capitals, on YouTube. And speaking of great things to come, next week we'll be joined by Mr. Patrick Kotenberg, who has picked Zack Snyder's 2013 film, Man of Steel. That's it when it comes to you, Kelly. Once again, we look forward to having you back with us here on Happiness and Darkness. And of course, we want to thank you once again so much for your time. Oh, I enjoy being here. I enjoy taking the time to uh, discuss these things with you. And I'm just glad that uh, my obsession as a child and uh, being teased has become a mainstream thing now. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're definitely certainly happy, certainly happy that you can share this obsession with us, as that's what we love, and you, you're definitely a wonderful, wonderful co-host, and we look forward to having you back. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Patrick Kotenberg and Man of Steel. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.